think I've got my first taste of true parenting. It's not. Oh, okay. It's not. You know, wiping up the poo, changing nappies, all that sort of stuff. That's not what it really. Well, I hope is. you've done that. I hope you've done that before. Now. Oh, I have. I have been doing all of that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that's not really what it's about. Uh, I had to experience midnight arts and crafts. What that? <laughs> that was that was my first real taste. I was sitting there making an Easter bonnet at midnight that I had forgotten about for his nursery Easter bonnet parade competition because I was in the depths of Miami and I got back from one of the the shifts from Miami at uh, about what about 11 p.m. I had to jump into my 24-hour supermarket get all the arts and crafts bits it was very limited as to what I could (laughs) what I could get and then I had to make an Easter bonnet uh, at uh, at midnight, I think I finished around one a.m. The good thing is, is that that does sound awful. And whilst it wasn't brilliant, I must say, it I, I was on Miami time, so it didn't feel like one o'clock in the morning uh, to okay. me. So yeah. it wasn't so bad, but it was. Uh, <laughs> it really was quite funny. How have I not seen a picture of this Easter bonnet? And does it still exist, or did it kind of fall to pieces after the job it had to do was done? I think it's still at the nursery. We never got it back, but I will send you a picture oh. of him in his parade. I was devastated that he didn't win first prize. <laughs> um, I feel like he didn't model it well enough, is what I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then in the morning, I think the thing was that the idea, I assume, was that he was supposed to make the Easter bonnet with the child. Now, for organised people, this might be the case. <laughs> but I obviously didn't want him to be the only one without a hat. Uh, in the morning, I did let him stick some flowers on. So he had sort of, you know... Oh, so he was meant to have uh, designed... Not designed it. He was meant to have done stuff to it. <laughs> I assume that we were supposed to make it with the, the, the <laughs> with him. You took... Basically, you took control of the situation and you, you made him a bonnet that you hoped he would win in is that what you said yeah saying? to be honest you it wasn't control. even really a bonnet because as I say I was very limited <laughs> by what I had so I just made this thing it looked like a little bunny rabbit sort of hat and uh <laughs> and yeah and then he stuck some flowers on in the morning but uh yeah I just remember just sitting there sort of made them, you know me and Ben had been texting each other when I was on the I was like right I'm gonna go and get some of this need some white cards and pink cards and PVA glues and all sorts uh, and then, uh, yeah, just got home and I was thinking, yeah, oh, this is it. This is this is parenting. Panicking at midnight because you don't want your kid to be the only one without a hat the next day. <laughs> I, I need to see a picture. You know, it brings back really bad memories of when we had to make the, the meerkat compound. This was part of homeschooling oh, in, in yeah. the lockdown. And, we had to, and, and, and a little bit similar to that, I think it was meant to be a joint effort. But my other half sort of took over with the compound and he was bringing in earth and little holes and everything. And then I got to grips with the... Um, the toilet, the toilet roll. Oh, is this? Are you show me? Have you got it? Show- That's very good. It's even got teeth. It's kind of it looks like the rabbit's teeth are kind of digging into his forehead. <laughs> yeah, I know. It okay, was, so what did it was he? The simplest what did, thing what I did could he make. do? What did he do on this hat? Where's the flower? Uh, did he do? I don't I think you can see it on. on that shot. There's a... Yeah, had you taken them off? Did <laughs> you think it was ruining your rabbit? Did you take them off? Yeah, they fell off because of rubbish gluing. Uh, no, there are there That's are. That's quite a good hat. Yeah, so there's a few flowers. For for a midnight hat, that was good. But no, we're we're the same. I basically made the meerkats out of loo rolls and pipe cleaners and tissue paper. My other half made the compound and we were so proud of it. We had to submit photos and everything. And the boys basically had nothing to do with building it. And I, But I don't think this wasn't like a competition. There wasn't a prize for the best compound. I think in our case, it was like, 
it's probably going to take us, I don't know, say an hour. If we do it all together, it's probably going to take about three hours and it's going to get really messy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it was just, let's get in there, make a meerkat compound and get out the other side. I think... I think that's sometimes a bit... it's just about getting it done. And as I say, he's he's, he's very small. Done. He didn't know what was going on, but I just didn't want him to be the only one without a hat. So there you go. Uh, but yeah, I think it you. looked like that he made quite a lot of it, to be honest, because it was made so poorly. <laughs> but there you go. Well, what's keeping me up at night because I haven't been working on Miami is children's birthday parties. I, I've warned you about this. They can get competitive. They can get. Now, the boy's birthday isn't for a while yet. You know, it's in in the summer. I've already had to send out. This is like a wedding thing. Save the date. Wow. Because there's, because there's other mothers saying, well, we want this day. Can we have this day? We want this time. And, and we're doing this. And there's actually a mother at the moment who won't reveal what she's doing because she doesn't want people to take the idea. I mean, it's all it's like another it's another level so i basically just said to the boys what do you want to do do you know what i mean yeah what do you want to do they said what they want to do fine we're gonna we're gonna book that you want to do that so that's lovely and yeah save i've had to send out like save the date things oh god wow it's uh yeah i know birthday birthday parties just i think i've said this to you before i'm gonna say it again avoid them for as long as you can okay right okay i can do that avoid them or do the whole class thing because then you have to start saying who do we leave out do you want this per oh, it's it's a hot it's a whole new world so that's yeah so while you've been making bunny rabbit hats at, at like midnight i've been sort of trying to figure out birthday parties that, and it isn't even for like months yet huh but i have been keeping an eye on the tennis you'll be glad to know in between all that madness and look i know we talked about her last week but can we talk about her some more because I do believe she can stay at the top and I do believe she can be the one to be. And I do believe that Iga Shiontek can hold on to that ranking for a good amount. The way she's playing, the confidence, everything is there for her, I think, to be a very good and long-standing number one. I agree. Absolutely. I, I totally agree, especially because Krejcikov is going to have a bunch of points coming off with French Open because uh, she's at number two at the moment. So, um yeah, I, I think that, that Siontek is comfortably the best player on tour right now. And, you know, she's incredibly consistent. You know, she's, of course, won Roland Garros, so she can play on the clay. So I'm sure she's going to pick up some good, good points there. So she's been phenomenal how she's developed, I think, through through 2022 as well. It took her a little bit of settling time, I think, after she won Roland Garros. So that was quite the surprise. And we see that. We're seeing that with Emma Raducanu now. We're seeing that with, with, with plenty of players. It, it just takes a little while to get your head around what on earth is going on. Um, and now she's number one in the world and, you know, thoroughly, thoroughly earned. But I really feel, I really feel that she... She did take some time after she won Rolling Ghost, but I really feel she adapted quicker than others have. I think, and we've talked about this before, if I look back at all the ones who've won their maiden slam, male or female, I think for me, she's one of the ones who's, whether it's because she works very closely with Daria Abramovic and working on the mental side of things, and that was such a, a big thread through that Roland Garros win, what she's focusing on. I remember um, Abramovic would say that sometimes she'd leave her puzzles or like bricks to play with and she'd just sit in the corner just, you know, switching the mind off and working on, on very different things. And, and I think it... And also I think a lot of it, it goes down to personality as well. Uh, and I think it... I don't know. I just... I think she adapted to life 
it, it did take a little bit of time because suddenly she's with Robert Lewandowski in the Polish Sports People Award and she's like, how am I standing next to this person? But she comes across as very grounded, not that the rest aren't. But I just, for me, I just think she adapted quicker than, say, say others have around her. Yeah, it years. didn't seem to really um, give her... Yeah, I see what you mean. As in, it's not like her game then just took off and she just kept winning everything. Um, but she didn't also just sort of plummet and not win many matches and, and struggle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just took a little bit of settling settling time, really. And, yeah, I think she's at the top of the game. I mean, who could overtake her this year? Well, that's just going to come down to Grand Slam winners, really. I mean, she's been very consistent so far, so... If she doesn't win Grand Slams and somebody else wins a couple, then that's going to be the person who um, would take over from her. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's strong at the top. Uh, you know, Bedosa has been playing so consistently well. Um, you know, you've, you've got a couple of new ones in there. Contivate up high. Zachary, everybody's being very consistent with the levels that they're producing, I think, all in all. Um, so I think it's just going to be a really exciting year. Sometimes it can come down to the the ruthlessness of the person that can make the difference. So with so with Sakari, it, it's that last hurdle where she has stumbled a handful of times and you feel she needs to get that major win in a big final to sort of cross the finish line and, and move through there. Looking through some of the stats for Sviantec, I mean, they're incredible at the moment. What, 17-match unbeaten run, fourth woman to win the Sunshine Double. She won her last six finals in a row, won her last 20 sets of tennis in a row. And, and the one that I was, I was looking through results-wise, she has bageled or lost just one game in every against every single opponent she's faced in a Grand Slam or WTA 1000 final. So Kenin and Roland Garros final, 6-4, 6-1. Pliskova, that Rome demolition, love and love. Kontovic in Doha, 6-2, 6 love. Sakari in Indian Wells, 6-4, 6-1. And then Osaka in Miami, 646 love, highlighting the ruthless nature of Sviantec when she gets to that final stage. It's ridiculous to have that sort of record. I mean, we see players struggle when it comes to finals, but it's sort of rare to see somebody who just thrives in the finals like, like she does. It, you know, she just jumps up another level. And, and, and also you've got to bear in mind, it's different to the other rounds because you're playing at somebody else who has come through the draw and is clearly playing very well and would have had some big scalps or they would be the top one or two seeds. They've either beaten people who are better than them or they've been the top one or two seeds or sometimes, you know, the draw opens up and that's how it goes. But that's unusual. It doesn't happen that often. So, yeah, I mean, and she just turns up. I mean, that Rome one was was quite extraordinary especially Pliskova loves playing in Rome like she absolutely loves it it's probably her favorite tournament maybe outside of Prague I guess but you know it just bizarre with her game how can you not win a game I don't understand when you can play like that uh but Svantec you know when she's on full throttle she takes the ball so early she is so good at redirecting her movements a joke I don't know how you hit a winner against her and this is what we saw with Osaka in the final you know Osaka played you know, very very well to get to the position that she was in it's really nice to see her playing with clearly none of the pressure that has been weighing her down for so so long she you know she likes having something to aim for and I've said this a number of times 
it's great fun when you're on your way to the top of the sport. When you're at the top of the sport, it's a lot less fun to just sit there and be a sitting duck for people. And even if you win a tournament, your ranking doesn't go up, nothing happens. Every week you're defending huge amounts of points. You feel like you can only fail. Like that's the, that's the thing, like nothing is ever really good enough. And you have to really change your mentality, which is why the top, top players have done such an incredible job. You know, and that's something that hopefully Osaka, once she gets back to the top of the game, which I assume that she will be able to, um, I don't have no reason to think why not, that she would be able to switch that mentality into understanding that it is a different proposition being at the top and trying to stay there. You I mean, you're backing Shontek to stay there for a long time. And again, you have to sort of change that, change that mentality because ultimately you're number one in the world. Every tournament that you don't win is sort of, it, it, it isn't in reality, but you feel it deep inside you. Like it's sort of a failure because you're the best player there. Like you should win the tournament and anything less than that is is a bit bit of a bummer. But I think what will help Shiontek is that she's already won a Grand Slam. So she's, so twofold on that. She's been in the position when she came through, didn't drop a set, won Roland Garros, and then she became the player to beat. No, she wasn't world number one, but everyone was looking at her as a Grand Slam champion, especially when she went back to Roland Garros. She couldn't defend that title. So she's, she's gone through the emotions of what that takes and and the weight that that puts on you defending a Grand Slam title and the immediate aftermath being the player that everyone was looking at, like Emma Raducanu saying, well, she's just going to blow everyone off court because that's what she did at Flushing Meadows. And I also think the off-court stuff, because recently I, I've seen Shiontek, I think she was I think she was with a basketball player. I want to say it was a basketball player, but you know, she's she's number one now. So there's there's been so many videos and people she's met and all this thing that she's done because she's the number one player in the world. And again, I think that winning Roland Garros and everything that followed that back in Poland and there with Robert Lewandowski at Sports Sporting Awards. I think that'll help her because we have had number ones that haven't won a Grand Slam before and suddenly, you know, they get to the top and we've seen it. I think it was it was Andy Lapthorne. When he became world number one, he said, I'd done it. You know, I'd achieved everything. And then it became very difficult because I didn't know what to do now. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know where to take it. So it can affect people very differently. But I think, Shiontek, I think the fact that she's won Roland Garros, I think is going to stand her in in good stead being the world number one. Yeah, I mean, look, there are multiple examples of it, aren't there? I mean, you mentioned Andy Lapthorne and you know, he struggled with that. I mean, Dominic Team was saying that. I know the majority of it's been injuries, yeah. but after he won the US Open, he was just like, well, that goal is it's complete. That My lifelong dream that you know now where do you go um you know even ash barty she's made the choice to finish because she says there's nowhere else to go there's her heart's not in it she's achieved it and and that is part of achieving your goals i mean you said last time that she uh when she won wimbledon it was uh well can i retire now or was that when she won the French? No, that was that was after yeah, the French. Yes, so that was the first one. And it was, can I retire now? And the o- the only thing that would have kept her going was that quest for Wimbledon and Australian Open. And they ticked off and she's, yeah, I'm out of here, guys. So it is something that we shouldn't take for granted from the top players. Clearly Osaka has struggled very much with it as well. Um, but with those players, I mean, Serena on 23 slams and... You, you, People forget that she was coming through her matches, love and one through quarterfinals pretty comfortably an awful lot of the time. And yeah, I mean, what what kept her going? What keeps her going now? You know, Venus still playing and Andy Murray with his 
well, it's not really a comeback anymore. He's back. But, um, you know, Andy Murray was still with that drive and he might not even be winning Grand Slams. That sort of seems a little bit unrealistic for him. Uh, but then you've got you know, Djokovic still going, everything that Federer and Nadal, I mean, Nadal's still going. I mean, who'd have thought he would have got to 21 first? It is absolutely, it's something that I don't think you can understand. I don't think anyone, I, I certainly can't understand it. I don't think anyone who's not in that position can understand, but... I think that the normal response is sort of like an Ash, like a team, like an Andy Lapthorne of, uh, huh, okay, right, I've done it, now what? And that now what yeah. is very scary for an athlete who is a goal-orientated person <laughs> when there is no goal. It's, it's, it's pretty intimidating. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to ask you, you talked about working on Miami and you working for the ATP on Miami. Carlos Alcaraz, Carlos Alcaraz, however we're saying, at 18 years of age. Now, I know we've talked about him a little bit. You've seen an awful lot of him recently. I've seen a fair bit, but in these recent days and weeks, what is it about him? He is 100% the real deal. We've talked about him in tennis circles for a while now. Here he is now, the youngest Miami champion, just if people are listening to this, they they haven't seen a lot of him. They don't know a lot about him. What is it about Alcaraz that makes him the real deal? Oh my gosh, where to begin? <laughs> what an extraordinary thing, and what a privilege to be involved. I was very fortunate. I was commentating on the world feed for the final, um, you know, with his first Masters title. Uh, I mean, honestly, honestly, it is take your pick. I think. The thing that is so impressive uh, for me is one thing that's always linked to experience, which he already has, and that is understanding how to lift his level at the right times, in the right moments. And that is, yeah, just extraordinary. When he was playing Ketsmanovic in the quarterfinals, he was down in the final set tie break, only a mini break. But it was a final set tie break. Ketsmanovic was playing out of this world and... I think it was it was 5-3 or 5-4, but with a mini break to Ketsmanovic. And everything felt like, oh, this is going to be a huge win. I mean, Ketsmanovic played a brilliant tournament. He is a fantastic player. He just had the most awful, terrible rubbish 2021, quite frankly. Um, but, but Oh, no, was it, was it 2020? Anyway, he's uh, he is, is very much back and he will be in the top 20, you know, soon enough. But... For Al- Alcaraz, so he was down, as I say, 5-3 or 5-4. It felt like Ketsmanovic was going to win. And then the camera just had a close-up of Alcaraz. And I said on air, that's how confident I was. I said on air, I was like, I just said, Alcaraz knows he's going to win this match. Like, look at his face. He he knows it. He doesn't think it. He knows he's going to win this match. And he's almost, the, the read on his face, he had this slight smile as if like, oh, okay, cool, I've got to come from a mini breakdown to win this one. I? <laughs> as in like, that's what I'm going to do. And it was um, such an extraordinary thing. And you know what it's like with commentary. 
it's you know if you make a call you don't want to look silly if, <laughs> if you're going to say that this person's going to win or you know and, and sometimes you know when you set up a match obviously there are ifs and buts you know somebody could just play poorly but and it's always very nice for us when it does sort of work out. So I was quite chuffed with myself when he did then rattle off four points. Especially in a with row. our predictions history. You must have been very pleased with yourself. <laughs> hey, I just got the sunshine double with eager. You know, no coming at me for my predictions right now. Yeah, no, you did. Sorry, I was, I was going to bring that up. Congratulations <laughs> to you for your predict. Miami didn't work out so well for both of us. But as you say, it was just looking at the, the, the confidence that you could just see by looking at him that made you say on air in this final to the world that he knew he was going to win it. He know. I just said he knows he's going to win. He has absolutely no doubt. And that makes me feel like he's going to win. Like that... And that's it. And then he did. He won. He won every point since then. And it wasn't like Kesmanovic did anything wrong. It was just that he lifted his level to that sort of stratospheric level that we see from Nadal and we see from from Djokovic. And we've seen them just go to you know chasing down balls that are just totally absurd. It's um, you know, and he he manages to have have that. And then when it comes to the final, you know. <sighs> I don't even think he played that well in the end. And and that's not that's not being um, negative towards Rude, who I'm a massive fan of, and I think he was absolutely fantastic. I think he played pretty well um, in general in the final, but Alcaraz, yeah, he is on a, on a different level in so many ways. But that, that level of confidence at 18, I suppose that's not abnormal because the teenagers tend to have a lot of confidence and bravado. But the ability to then deliver that level of better tennis that probably he's never had to do before. He's just sort of like, oh, I'll just do this. And then, oh, cool, I can do that. That's 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 handy, isn't it? I've managed to pull that out in the final set breaker. Um, and I mean, Juan Carlos Ferrero was talking about, I mean, that was an amazing moment when he came back just for the final, obviously having such a difficult time losing his father. But Ferrero saying that they, they work on um, moments in matches that's what they, they're working on and how to deal with those moments but I think what is ridiculous it's all very well understanding the theory of it as an 18 year old but to be able to then go out and deliver it and understand the scoreboard understand the moments to be able to feel it and then to be able to deliver that lifted level but whilst keeping the sensible decisions that's it because a lot of people try and lift their level on those big moments by going a bit crazy they, they ramp they dial up the risk and they might just try and tee off or go for a big second serve or go for a, a big return or whatever it is and try and come up with, lift their level that way. But that's sort of like, okay, it's going to work out sometimes, but it's not going to work out enough times for you to become number one in the world. And what Alcaraz has is an ability to lift his level without really ramping up the risk at all. And much like Djokovic is able to, I think Federer has been able to and, uh, and Nadal as well. One quick word on Rude. It's really nice to see him developing as an all-court player. And I remember during the, the first lockdown, he spoke about doing a lot more work on, on coming forward, being more aggressive, playing on the hard cuts. He'd do like a week on the hards and on the clay because he didn't just want to be known for playing on the clay where he won that sort of string of titles last year. So that's really good to see from Rude. With with Alcarath, there was really interesting on social media. We We automatically compare him to Nadal and there are so many similarities the the enthusiasm the, the sleeveless tops the their span etc you know there's so many but someone did a really interesting comparison of Djokovic and they put Alcaraz playing like a split screen a little bit like you and I now Djokovic at the top and Alcaraz at the bottom and it looked absolutely identical so if someone said to you 
as a tennis player, and I'm not talking manners and stuff because that it, you do think Nadal. But in terms of his style of play, if you had to pick a Nadal or a Djokovic for Alcaraz to be more similar to, I'm not saying identical to, who would you land on and why? Um, I don't think there is one, to be honest. I think that he has elements from all of them. Uh, you know, of course, there are so many mannerisms that are like Nadal, the... the you know, the celebrations, the movement at the net, the physicality that he brings to the court. I just think the general attitude is, is very like Nadal. I think the movement is like Djokovic's. I, I, I actually fairly confident at this stage. Djokovic has pushed on the movement of tennis to new levels. Uh, you know, I think Nadal pushed on the physicality. I mean, no one had seen anything like that when he turned <laughs> up and it, it was just, it was ridiculous. Um, and Djokovic then later on with his flexibility, with his playing on the, the slide on hard courts with his bendiness, uh, but with that level of strength was something we hadn't really seen before to be that flexible, strong and balanced whilst delivering a tennis shot. So he really pushed on on movement. And I think that Alcaraz is going to push the movement on again uh, beyond what Djokovic has been able to do. Not just yet, um, but... Uh, you can see that. And then, you know, there are so many elements of Federer's game as well in, in terms of how early he takes a ball, how, how he sticks to the to the baseline. And, and uh, you know, he really has sort of taken the influences from all three, I think really implemented them. And then let's not forget, because there will be comparisons to the big three for a long time, but he will very much be Carlos Alcaraz. He won't be any of them. And then has added in his own stuff. His drop shots are off the, off the charts good off the charts good and I don't think any any of those three are very known for their drop shots yes they all play them yes they all have good hands but you know Alcaraz's drop shot conversion was a joke heading into the final he had made 59 drop shots and won 51 of those points wow that is unheard of unbelievable yeah exactly I mean yes he'd missed some of course but but that just meant that if he was hitting a drop shot he was winning the point um and he has phenomenal feel. Yes, his shot from the back of the court pushes his opponent back, but so do loads of players. So does her catches strike from the back of the court. So do loads of players push their opponents back off the baseline. Of course they do. Um, and his uh, his drop shot was absolutely stunning. It actually didn't work very well from the final because Rude chased the ball down, down very, very well. He's a good mover. And he took that option away from him. I think he won about half the points in the final. But in general... Uh, and also, again, going back to that point of playing well in the big moments, he'd hit eight drop shots in the four tie breaks he'd played. He played two tie breaks against Ketsmanovic quarters, two against Hercatch in the semis. He played eight drop shots. He made them all and he won them all in those across those tie breaks. So he's sort of more likely to go for that drop shot on the tight moments. But, you know, that that's just an example of how... Yeah, so he's taking the best of Federer and Adal Djokovic. I mean, firstly, he's got the ability and skill to be able to do it. And then saying, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we also had drop shot ability and this and that and whatever. So I've got no doubt he's going to push the game on. It's frightening, isn't it? It's frightening. He's got bits of those three greats and then he's added his own little stardust to it. April 2020, he was 318 in the world. This week, April 2022, he is 11. That has been the rise of the young man. And there's only one way he's going, as long as he stays fit and healthy. Um, look, it's it's wonderful to see. You know, we've spoken so much about the the younger players coming through on the on the WTA. And it's really nice that we're talking about the likes of Alcaraz, who 
yeah, no, it, look, he, he's great to watch. I'd encourage anyone who hasn't seen him to watch him. I'm looking forward to seeing how the season progresses. Now he's got that Miami title. You know, is he going to kick on from there? Of course he's going to kick on from there. Oh, well, well the clay's on... going to be good. Oh, now, someone who's not going to be on the clay is Medvedev, which I don't think he's too unhappy about. <laughs> if if Daniel Medvedev had to choose a time to have a little um, little surge, a little hernia problem. It's funny, when I saw the post that he'd put, and it, it, look, he's had a phenomenal year to date, but it said, you know, something that's been bothering me for a while. I spoke with my team, little surgery, out for a couple of months. I thought, you're probably not that upset with that because you're missing the clay, you don't love Missing the grass, you're not in love with yet, and then you'll be back for the hard court. So I think, and time-wise, not possibly the worst timing in the world for Medvedev to have that surgery. Do you think he's uh, treating the clay and grass like his off-season? <laughs> so this is my well. downtime. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say I don't think he's going to be sort of wake up in the morning and go, oh no, I'm not going to be sliding around on, on, on the dirt this season. I think, think timing-wise, they, they're going to maximise his strengths by having the surgery at this time. Well, yeah, and, and it makes sense. And of course, you know, hernia is no joke. Uh, he's clearly got to sort, get it sorted out. So I was only uh, just speaking in jest. I was only joking. Um, of course, it's not his off season. But you can't underestimate the impact of that. Um, missing a clay and grass season in terms of the development of his game on those surfaces, potentially in the yep, future. Yep. We already missed... Um, a good well missed a grass court season with the pandemic and then he would miss another one here and he's somebody who's not very good on the grass because he's not he's not played on it enough and uh well it's all relative i mean it's harsh for me to say he's not very good on grass but it's all relative in the in sorry in comparison to his hard court game where he's he is a yeah, favorite so i should probably he's not as good he's not as good he's clearly very very good um <laughs> but yeah, no, it does. It, it does. It just sets that back because then that's going to be, he's going to miss that for a year. So it'll be two full years when he comes back to the clay next year and, and all those bits and bobs. But look, he's got to get his hernia fixed. I think you dug yourself out of that hole quite well. Not sure. Maybe kind of <laughs> still, still a little bit. In. Now I know we do this every year, but every year we get new listeners, new people come to tennis. So we're moving to the clay as a player, how do you prepare for it? The biggest difference going from the hard courts onto the clay court. Oh, onto the clay. Um, I think it's possibly a little bit different for men and women uh, okay. on, on the clay. Uh, everything is going to be uh, jumping up a lot more. It's difficult to, to know which way to go with it. So for the men... Uh, you know, with that, those kick serves, they're going to really stick on the court. They're going to jump up. You're going to be pushed out wider. You're going to drop back deeper. It's harder to hit through the ball and hit hit winners on the court. So your upper body gets a, a much more of a workout. You're going to be a little bit more upright. Of course, I would say sliding is going to impact the lower body, but everyone slides on the hard courts now. Any, anyways, it's pretty much the same. Um, it's just that the court helps you a bit on the clay court on the hard court the court's not helping you at all uh so <clears throat> it's probably a little bit easier actually on the body in in that sense it's quite soft you know, we've always heard about Nadal's knees are better on the clay because they, it absorbs a lot more of the impact it is much easier to slide it's much less abrasive on the body um but you know things are going to be jumping up wider uh higher depending on the environments I mean look Madrid is in entirely different conditions to to Rome uh it's much much quicker there um I think you know there's quite a lot of variation between 
between the sites. Uh, when it comes to the women, um, I think that uh, yeah, probably a lot more work on the legs because there are some players, Iga Siontek is one of them, who will slide on a hard court like they do on a clay court. Now, look, Osaka slides on a hard court, but she doesn't slide on a hard court like she would on a clay court. So as in, she's not every shot that she would slide on on a on a clay court she's not sliding on on a hard court it's just that sometimes she will be so there there will be a bit of a difference there'll be a bit more of a load through the legs in in that sense um and uh yeah it's just about getting the feel underneath your feet just get your feet on it just feel it because it, it's moving it's moving underneath you uh and it, it's uh destabilizing and, you know, you've got to feel for those players who are hardcore players like Medvedev and uh, the, those players that want to plant and be solid and feel the ground underneath them. They don't like playing <laughs> on the move, don't like playing on the slide. Well, you know, it's going to be, going to be tough going for the grass. Uh, sorry, for the clay. Difference between green and red clay, because we've got some green clay court tournaments at the moment. Yeah, so uh, Charleston's happening uh, with, I mean, I'd call it grey clay, but... I think people call it green clay. I call it grey clay because <laughs> it looks grey. <laughs> but I think people are, you think you're supposed to call it green clay. Um, the difference in colour is just the difference in material used uh, to make it. That's all it is. Um, but it is uh, laid very differently. So um, on a, a grey clay court, it's probably you'd place it in between a hard court, like a slow hard court and a red clay court. It is... You've, you've essentially got that top surface on a, that moves underneath your feet, but it, it's, it's not, it, it, you're, you can't slide as easily as you can on a, on a, a red clay court. Um, it's just, yeah, it, it, it's quite, it's quite different. Um, it's not used very often, is it? To be honest, it's no. not like, I mean, have we, have we only got one men's and one women's event on, on the gray clay? I think, I think that's all it is out in, in the States. Look, it's something that people play on all the time. I grew up playing on it. Um, my school had, I think 12 gray clay courts and, uh, nationals used to be on grey clay so even in a country where we really don't have red clay it doesn't exist in the UK uh, because we can't maintain it um, the grey clay um, is 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 used so and and I think there's quite a lot of junior events so players play on it a lot it's just on the tour it's just not really used it's just not really used at all sort of like carpet I guess but carpet's not used as much uh, growing up I spent much more time on grey clay especially proper tournaments on grey clay than I would on on carpet uh, but yeah the tours just uh, they don't really do it two news lines although we're not really a news pod um, ATP with immediate effect going to clamp down an ill discipline I think the quote was the ATP officiating team has been directed to take a stricter stance in judging violations of code of of the code of conduct they're also undertaking a review of the code and I think that's the conclusion we came to wasn't it last week that um I wasn't advocating um you know I, I just think they need to be harsher quicker to maybe stop it escalating I mean I I think we kind of that was the conclusion we sort of came to wasn't it? I don't want people thrown out for smashing a racket I just think if action's taken sooner it might stop the escalation yeah and you know what I was thinking about it a lot and I've had you know so many conversations especially through Miami you know everything that we've been seeing and I do agree I, I think that it would definitely be worth trialing uh having no warnings that was your suggestion I know that's yeah. a lot of people suggesting you just go straight to the point so you still do point game set yeah. match um but 
you just go straight in there and I think it would be worth maybe you know just giving that a go and, and just for a tournament to see if that makes any any impact just uh because I don't think that's too harsh on the players I think it's fine as you say they know the rules break them you're gonna get punished Great Britain's Cameron Norrie is a top 10 player it's a very unusual sentence to say I mean massive credit to what he's achieved over the last 18 months but Sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? Cameron Norrie's a top 10 player, but thoroughly deserved. He is. And uh, yeah, I mean, he is such a fascinating player. Now, he is somebody who can play on all the surfaces. So he's going to pick up points at all stages of the season. Very good on clay and grass, of course. Um, It's just been amazing. It's just amazing to to watch him and, and how tough it is to play against him. It is so difficult. Now... There is still a little bit of an element that if you are one of the top players and you're playing well enough, like he can be overwhelmed a little bit, I think, if you're not phased by that flat backhand, um, you know, and the lefty forehand isn't bothering you too much because you're used to it or that sort of thing, then it, it can be a little difficult for him. But I'm talking about the very, very top of the game because his base level is so, so high. But yeah, I mean, he's uh, he thoroughly deserves to be a top tenner. You know, all those guys ranked 8, 9, 10 have got to watch out a little bit. You know, Alcaraz is at 11, and let's be honest, he's <laughs> going to be in the top 10 soon enough, so he's going to be kicking somebody out. Um, but uh, just what an extraordinary achievement, and I don't think anyone in the world of British tennis would have predicted, not say that it wasn't possible, but I don't think anyone would have predicted that from Cam if you went back even just a couple of years. Absolutely astonishing and it's so amazing to see those players that are able to just unlock something in them and really push on because he also he had a bit of a settling time he got to the ATB tour very very quickly and he he flew up the rankings I mean challenges were no problem top 100 was no problem 50 was no problem and then he did have just that little bit of settling time it wasn't that long worked it out and then whoosh there he goes. I mean, somebody like Angelique Kerber was ranked between 100 and 200 for a number of years before she worked it out and then didn't stop until she got to number one. So, you know, it it, it can happen at different times for, for different players, but boy, is he maximising. And I think he thinks there's, there's more to come. And one area that we haven't quite seen from Cam yet is just a really deep run in a slam. So there's no reason why he can't. And also he's got all of the slams as opportunities because he's good on all the different surfaces. So, you know, let's see how he goes in the second week of a slam. Oh, it's going to be a fan- fascinating few months coming up, hasn't it? With all these players rising up the rain. Let me ask you a question as I look out my window. When you run... What's your worst condition to run in? Or what's your worst element? So sun, rain, hail, snow, wind. Like, what? what's the one you hate? Wind. Awful, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it her- Unless when- it's behind you, then it's great. <laughs> it, and it's amazing it's behind you. But I went this morning, dropped one of the little fellas off at one of their preschool clubs, went for a run, knew we were doing the pod. It felt like someone was pushing me the other way. Like, it was... It was awful. I mean, there is, isn't it just, I will run in rain, in hail, in snow, in 30 degree temperature. But is it wind? I mean, it's, it's bloody awful. Even when it's pushing you the right way and suddenly I feel like some sprinter as I charge down the straight. It's just, it's awful, isn't it? It just makes things feel colder and I know you, you'd probably say to me, yes, but you know, running against the wind, it's good for you as well because it's really pushing you. But it's awful, isn't it? Isn't it horrendous? 
Yeah, wind is is tough. It's just awful. annoying. God, it's it, awful. I mean, it, it's yeah, it's annoying. I don't know where it comes from. I don't understand the science behind it. I just, I, it's just irritating. But I will say that I. I, and I also hated playing tennis in the wind. I was oh, somebody yeah. who was quite impacted by it. Uh, weirdly, I think it was mainly mental because technically, you know, sometimes players technically are more impacted than others. I really wasn't one of those players who should have been impacted <laughs> at all. I should have really been thriving in the wind, especially with strength to hit through it. But I abs- I think I just got in my own head and I hated it. Um, but uh, I remember one time playing in, uh, in Australian Open that year where it was bonkers i think when sharapova said she was hallucinating it was that hot it was 40 something degrees it was like 48 degrees or something crazy it was they had iv drips waiting for players as soon as they come off the court it was absurd and that was before they have changed the rules now with extreme heat yeah. that matches don't go on it used that you used to just have to suck it up <laughs> and, and go with it um but uh uh, it was it was that year and I was playing a match and it was this, the faintest of breezes, the faintest <laughs> of breezes. But I think it saved my life. Honestly, I don't think I've ever had a near-death experience, but that's as close as I've ever come of just thinking that I was just... You know, I, I don't know. The, the 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 breeze was very hot. It was a hot breeze, it's like a hairdryer. <laughs> but after it's like that, a hairdryer. yeah, like a hairdryer. But after that, I very much was like, I'm never going to complain about the wind again because today it saved my life. Oh, so I, I feel like I'd still rather do extreme heat running than than wind. I mean, it comes sideways. It's behind you. It's front of you. Your face as many layers as you put on. And I had most things covered today. The only thing that wasn't covered was literally my face. I had hat and gloves and everything. Although it wasn't that cold and the sun was out but it just gets you in the face and you oh it's just I just kept thinking when I get to the end of this it's going to be a real achievement like I'm going to really feel good that I've done this in that wind and I just oh I hate it G- genuinely genuinely yeah. hate it genuinely hate oh, it I know. now I I have to apologize don't know because we um we're going to have a little what a week's break from the pod next week we, we are well you're going to have a break yeah i'll have a break from the pod you're going to have a full break going on holiday yeah. and uh well deserved i must say especially pre well it's not pre clay because the clay's starting next week i'm gonna be working on monte carlo so i'm yep. very much not having a break uh although monte carlo is such a fantastic tournament to work on oh, it's so amazing. i can't well but i my, cannot complain well the reason because normally i'll be doing atp tennis radio for monte carlo so yes, i suddenly got to this year when there was no atp tennis radio which is still very sad so no monte carlo so I thought, well, hang on a second. And because the summer for us is so busy with the um, with the grass courts and then I go into the Commonwealth Games, I suddenly had this sort of window of opportunity. And we thought we really want to take the boys away. But the things I didn't think about going kind of long haul with children, not the things about you've got to pack snacks and fully charged iPads and all the stuff for the flights, lollipops for landing. Always remember that with children. But they asked me, will the Easter Bunny know how to find us? Well, I mean, there's a question. I thought, oh, God, um, have you have you paid for a ticket for the Easter Bunny as well to and, come on your holiday? But also the second question was, um, will the tooth fairy know where to find us? Because I've got two wobbly teeth. You know, I can't look at the teeth, so I haven't seen how wobbly. But will the tooth fairy know to find us? So I've had to say to my other half, don't forget cash because he set the bar high with the tooth. So we've got to remember to take cash to put under pillows for teeth that are apparently going to fall out on holiday. And also I've got to somehow sneak a stash of eggs out there because they, they're really worried that the Easter Bunny, and that's together with all the other stuff you need to pack for, for children. But yeah, I've got to remember 
the Easter Bunny has to find us. I said, yo, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, they, they know where you are at all times. So I want to do like an Easter egg hunt abroad somewhere. Wow. Hot, where they'll all melt. <laughs> How do they not melt? Yeah. Oh, all, all these mm. little all these little things that you don't think about um so yes yeah, so we're packing cash and i haven't really had cash since the pandemic began because everyone no i know when people say have you got any spare cash i'm like oh no no don't use cash uh, i don't think kids take ious or whatever's for teeth so yes yeah, so i've got to i've got to get us all right so so this yes so i'll be back with lots of stories there'll be so much tennis because the clay is underway and probably will have lost a few teeth and hopefully the boys will have found a few non-melted Easter eggs on the Easter egg hunt. Well, that sounds great, though. Yes. No, very excited. Well, very excited. I haven't done anything to prepare for it because I've been working this week. So that's slightly daunting. But, you know, it's one of those things. I don't know if you were like this with exams or anything. I just I know it will happen. Do you know what I mean? Like the thought of packing for all the children, everyone is daunting, but I know it's going to get done. Yeah, so, so it then, has to. So at two o'clock in the morning, the night before the flight, when you're making Easter bonnets or whatever, whatever's next <laughs> on your list, I'm going to be kind of walking around the house going, oh, we need this and we've got to get this. I, I know that's, that's going to happen. As I sit here very calm a few days before liftoff, um, I know it will happen in the few hours before we leave. So it's exciting while I don't think about everything I have to do to get to the point when we get on the plane. Yeah. Oh, when I mean. you're there, though, you're going to have such a great time. Yeah. No, looking forward to looking forward to it. It's, it's the first time as a family we've been away since the pandemic. So, as I say, I saw the break in the schedule, school holidays. So going to make the most of it. So but we'll be back. And the, there is so much, we're both going to be in Paris later this year. So that's going to be great. Yes. That we can. I can't wait for that. I hope we have some time. <laughs> because you know what it's like you'll be on the night sessions and i'll be in the day and then we, we we're not going to oh, cross yeah, over surely one of the days this is the longest no. tournament we have in the whole year surely on one of the days it's going to work out that we well, can have a proper catch-up i guarantee you the start of one if not all of the podcasts while we're in paris will be i can't believe we actually found the time to sit down and do this <laughs> that is definitely going to be the opening and it's the... three o'clock in the morning <laughs> it's three o'clock in the morning and we've got to get so but no we are there is there is so much more to come this year i'm looking forward to it so um so yeah we're going to be back in in a week or so and we're going to do our predictions actually monte carlo what we'll do because we said we're going to do predictions around all the masters so we we need to do our Monte Carlo predictions. I don't know whether you want to do one now or I, I stick them on social media. Well, I'll um we'll do it before play starts. We can let's let the draws come out and we can uh, yeah we'll do it before play starts. Okay, we'll we'll make a note of it and we will we'll stick to the predictions that we've made. But um, I'm on a roll. You well a roll. You got one right. I don't I don't think you can call that a roll. That's not. Yeah, a roll. It's like it's worth that's, double no, points, right? That's the sunshine double. That's not a roll. I don't think it's uh, okay. All right, you, you're in a mini roll. I'm on no roll whatsoever, and I'm uh, I'm going to come good on the. <laughs>